Welcome to another episode of Reboot Ed, the podcast where we talk about big ideas and issues in education and hardly ever come up with any answers. I'm Andrew Schwab, and I am joined as always by Mike Walmart. How's it going, Mike? It's going great. All right. We're well, just... let's go ahead. Go ahead. I oh, no. Just living the dream, trying to figure out all of the uh, all of the angles and answer all the questions about this COVID stuff with schools. Yeah. Well, that's that, those are the, the big things on the agenda all over the place. But we don't do answers here. So we're just going to talk today uh, <laughs> about stuff. And to get us uh, going, we jump right into it. Why don't you inter- introduce our guest? Uh, we're really happy to get Bob Dylan, the real Bob Dylan, uh, educator extraordinaire, author, uh, expert on designing learning spaces. Bob, how you doing? You're you're in Missouri right now? I am. I'm in St. Louis. I'm home, and uh, it's good to be here, guys. Good to hear your voices, and uh, sometimes it's nice to play with other adults, and uh, I feel like I've been quarantined in my house, and I uh, love my family, but uh, it's good to be with you guys. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here, and we appreciate you joining us. When, when we first... Um, when we first started uh, trying to, to reach you to get you on the podcast, uh, it was looking as though we were going to be bringing kids back into the classroom um, here in California, and I'm sure it's the same um, all across the country. Uh, then we saw the, uh, the trend uh, exponentially jump upwards all over the place. Um, Last Friday, the governor of California put uh, all of the counties that had uh, exceptionally high growth numbers in terms of COVID cases and that sort of thing uh, on virtual education for um, as long as they were on the watch list of counties that were seeing significant numbers of of COVID cases. But the questions about learning spaces are, A, really difficult, um, uh, and B, extremely complicated and nuanced. And and so having your expertise and experience, we thought it would be great to um, talk to you about your thinking in terms of that. Um, Let's see. 2016, you wrote your books on learning spaces? Yeah, so that book came out, and then uh, there's another one coming here before the end of the year. So as a follow-up, it's been a long time in the making, but uh, Rebecca and I have learned a lot in the last three years. And we're trying to kind of bring both what we've done for some schools and districts uh, to light for others, but also move from kind of that classroom model to the building model about how do we redesign a full building. And now more than ever, um, there's some stuff in there that um, we're gonna wanna be talking about come November and December, I think. Even, I remember um, I hadn't retired when your book came out um, and I read it as we were having conversations in, in my district about learning spaces and we had a couple new schools on the horizon um, and uh, so we all we all took a look at that. But even in that book, as I recall, you were talking about blended learning and virtual learning in terms of technology uh, 
and and that classroom. Yeah, that's I, for sure. And then uh, you know, I've been out to Andrew's school and seen some of the cool stuff going on out there as well. And uh, yeah, it just um, now more than ever, um, the space doesn't end with the physical structure of the building. Uh, it's the user experience that we have whether we're at home, whether we're on the computer, or whether we're in a physical building. And so it's really pushed our thinking about what we're designing. Uh, and it's funny, the more we design all these different environments, you know, when it all boils down, we're really kind of redesigning what school is. Uh, but it's through the initial lens of the environment, but it's ultimately everything. And so I think that's pretty interesting. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's, push on that for a little bit um if you had to summarize what you see your definition of school becoming or evolving into how how would you couch that in contrast to the um the sort of traditional start at eight go home at three stuff happens and then you leave yeah I, you know i think that the spring was kind of a mess for everyone but i'm, I'm starting to see some potential experiments that i'm liking uh, for the fall. Now, when we're going to start those experiments, that's up for grabs. Because just like you said, here in the St. Louis area, we haven't had centralized leadership. Whether you like your governor or not, at least he's been a leader. Um, in Missouri, it's kind of been a free-for-all. And um, here in St. Louis County, it does look like we're getting closer to kind of either delaying the start of the school year or starting in that virtual space as well. Um, but with that, um, you know, I think we're going to see all these experiments where people are gathering because they want to be around other people, but what they're going to be doing is the same work as the kids that are at home. So I think some of these experiments that we're going to see um, are really going to shine a light that we can learn differently um, from the fact that when we are gathered with kids, we're going to think, how do we use that synchronous time not to lecture at kids, but to connect with them? We're going to see opportunities for folks to gather just because they need a social space or a quiet space to get away from the poverty of their home. Uh, we're going to see a number of kids experiment with virtual learning for a longer period of time. Like, hey, can we survive and do this and excel over the course of semesters as opposed to a few months? And so I'm excited to see uh, which of those experiments uh, pan out. Are you setting up to kind of pay attention to various districts that are that are looking at those models, um, or are you involved in the design process or what that's going to look like? Yeah, I've got a number of folks I'm working with around the country. Um, one of the schools is saying, hey, we want to build a virtual academy. So we have a number of schools. This is their first time out of the box doing a full virtual academy, meaning the teachers are fully online, they're doing everything, the students are electing to be there for a semester. I'm working with those types of schools and then also working with schools that are trying to get kids back into um, the space as fast as possible, as many kids as possible. Um, I was telling my wife today that, you know, um, you know, we are the social service uh, hub for many communities, right. whether that's food, whether that's mental health, whether that is um, daycare. Yeah, yeah, child care. Now, there's a whole conversation that goes with maybe that shouldn't be on our plates, but if we are, um, that stuff's got to start happening at greater degrees uh, as the cracks of society just keep going here. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know the debate about which of those are appropriate um, as an educational institution, um, be that as it may, we're not in the position to have that debate really during a pandemic. Uh, and those really have been historical sort of functions of schools, the social services, the, um, the child care aspect, the educational aspect. Um, from your standpoint, each of those has different demands on space design and, and consideration of, you know, especially you mentioned your new book, the, the building aspect as opposed to um, as opposed to a, a classroom and, and designing from a single classroom aspect, um, which was kind of the way that we were looking at the book that you guys wrote in 2016. Um, so with those considerations and with all of the social distancing kind of stuff, what sort of things are you thinking about? What, what are you seeing in the work that you're doing with schools? Yeah, I, I'm asking folks to not design themselves into a cul-de-sac, right? If we get so far down into the absolute weeds and all of the answers being able to put them on a piece of paper and a frequently asked questions, some variable is going to change. And so I'm trying to find this middle road between uh, we're just going to go for it and we have every answer figured out. And so our schools, we're trying to say, okay, we're going to have to socially distance desks. We are going to have to limit how we use common spaces. We are going to have to move food and eating into probably smaller places. And so if those are our realities for a while, what can we still control? I'm not encouraging people to like put, plex you know, put plexiglass up everywhere around tables and desks. And I'm not encouraging people to put you know, drop cloths in hallways. Um, but we do need to figure out, um, you know, how to move people from point A to point B. But if we overdo this, we will fail. We will fall under the structures of, like, all of these rules and norms. And so why set ourselves up for failure? And so I'm trying to get people to design with intention, but not with a level of detail that's going to set us up for failure. So... I got to back up a little bit. Are there schools that are actually designing like plastic dividers or curtains in the middle of their hallways? And I assume that's to direct traffic. Everybody yeah. stay to the right and yeah. you're moving north or south in your lanes. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're seeing pictures of what that looks like. We're seeing kidney tables for small group instruction with plexiglass dividers between kids like they're at a casino. Uh, have you seen the casino pictures? I don't know. But like people playing blackjack with like plastic walls between them. Um, uh, it just makes me think of the, uh, the Get Smart episodes with the cone of silence. Everybody's in their own little plexiglass bubble. Yeah. And then, you know, um, teachers are asking realistic questions, though. So like... The fear and uncertainty that teachers around the country have is real, and they have the right to have some of these questions answered. But uh, as I answer more questions, I think more and more just keep coming up. The one I heard the other day was, hey, kids are going to be eating in classrooms. I have a peanut allergy. How can you ensure that what my kids are eating in my classroom doesn't impact me and my peanut allergy? 
I mean, little stuff, right? It gets to really be fine-tuned. Yeah. And man, it's hard to get to that level of granularity when there's so many decisions to be made. And so little time to make them. That's the thing that um, Andrew and I have talked in the past about. This thing is so dynamic and it's changing so quickly. Uh, when you even try to set up a plan and start thinking about contingencies, like you said, you wind up in the weeds so deep that it almost feels hopeless. Yeah, just like in California, we have multiple school districts inside of a county. We have 19 here in the St. Louis area, and all of them are releasing their plans on Monday. Unfortunately, between Monday of last week and Friday of this week, um, the dynamics change. So all of these yeah. you know, plans that are 18, 20, 30 pages long that give everyone their answers may have pivoted in the last 48 hours. And so, yep. I, yeah, I think we're just going to have to pump the brakes. I read something today that said, like, you know, we developed the schedule. <laughs> There's nothing that says that school has to start in August. And, you know, we wanted many days as possible with kids. Man, it doesn't mean that October 1st isn't the safe and right way to start doing this work. Um, I don't know. It's, um, it's an unenviable task for a lot of folks. Well, Bob, I think you raise a good point, though. I, I think... I think a lot of people are approaching this and thinking about reopening school uh, as if we were not actually in a global pandemic. It's 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 addressing some of the kind of physical constraints in those things, but not not going so far outside the box to think of what why do we do what we do? And a lot of it is just tradition and then really taking a step back to look at what is the situation that we find ourselves in and what would be the best thing to do based on, you know, the reality that this is unlike any other thing we've ever faced. But I find, especially in looking, because uh, I've looked at a lot of the plans um, and a lot of plans that people are sharing out here, I don't know what it looks like where you are, but they're like, they're plans of plan of planning. They're like this, these are the stages that we have that will reopen, you know, but there's not detail into them. It's, it's very much, uh, here's what we're planning to do. But when you go into the details, there's not a lot of detail there because, you know, while we're going through this exercise, obviously so much is unknown still. And there are still so many unanswered questions that it's really difficult to put a plan in place that isn't going to be irrelevant in a week because of the way things are changing. And so yeah. I, I think the way people have responded to that is they're making, you know, they're, to get out to their community, they're putting out these plans. But it's more like this is how we're planning to approach this, not this is what we're actually going to be able to do. And what what students and parents and even teachers and and staff need is some level of predictability. Um, I, I I usually say stability at the same time, but this is just not a stable environment. But that sense of predictability is the only thing that we we can really commit to if we want to lower the anxiety level of everyone and and try to get through this as collectively as we can but i see these plans and like you andrew i've looked at a number of them you know and and there are multiple stages for um, a spectrum from virtual learning through various models to everybody's back uh, in the classroom, um, 
you know, full in-person education. But the trigger points between, say, what is your criteria for saying we're going to switch from fully virtual to some blended form or from some blended form to everybody's coming back? Um, you know, is everybody coming back when there's a vaccine? Is everybody coming back when we've got some level of risk uh, still associated with it? What, what sort of criteria do we use? And without those sorts of things articulated in, in the details of the plan, the plan's really not worth much. Um, yeah, I mean, we talk about, hey, we need to be based on science, and science is fluid, right? Like public health right. is a fluid thing. Hey, we are saying here's the best recommendations based on what we have today. And then we get a report that comes out of South Korea yesterday. Yeah. That says, oh, by the way. Yeah, yeah. hey, K through, you know, 0 through 10 doesn't spread the disease as much as 10 through 19 does. Okay, how does that all of a sudden get fed into our plans? And, you know, I, I think that schools are being really thoughtful about what a hybrid approach could look like. And I'm excited about some of those plans as though I think that some of those plans could exist nine months out, 12 months out, 18 months out. My biggest worry is that we're going to have a whole slew of kids come back to a classroom and hate it and basically be like, I'm not doing school like that. I'm not sitting in a room for six and a half hours, six feet apart with a computer in front of me and eating my lunch here and not moving around. And so we've got to build in some structures that make that time tolerable or else half of our kids are going to be like, I'm not doing this. If I have an option to be at home, I, I, I'm not going to get tortured at school. It was already bad enough, and now this. And so I'm really, really worried that by October, half to more of our kids are saying, we're not doing that. As did um, probably a similar percentage of kids when we started last March with a virtual learning model that, I mean, let's be honest, nobody was prepared for it. Nobody trained for it. Um, and because of that, it, it was just terrible in a lot of cases and kids checked out. Um, and we, we had mechanisms in various ways to try to accommodate the kids and make it as easy for them. Um, and is assuring for them that, hey, we got you, we're not going to let you fall behind, and that kind of stuff. But yeah. huge numbers of kids just literally checked out. Yeah, and I think we learned a lot about grading practices, right? If you tell kids they're going to be held harmless and they've got an A, they're like, all right, peace out, I'm good. Yeah. Right? Like if you tell kids, hey, it's going to be pass-fail, and they're like, I'm passing, like, I'm good. I'm good. So you've got – I mean we've learned we, – we had to learn this spring that the system of school has been deeply based on extrinsic motivation. Even for our best kids, they're point collectors. Yeah. And if we don't want that – if we want online learning and virtual learning and hybrid learning to work – we've got to peel back some of the layers of how motivation happens and what we bring to the table for kids to learn at home. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what we've, I think what, what we've been um, talking about at least um, well in my house, just with my daughter's high school experience um, over summer school 
is it seems like I see a lot of um, replicating kind of all the all the not great experiences from school, um, even just online, right? I mean, just just the the idea that you're going to sit online for four to six hours a day and listen to somebody talk at you, right? That seems to be the the kind of live Zoom experience that we've seen. And when you take that and you apply it to being in class, the way we seem to seem to think that the restrictions and the social distancing and all those things are going to require, you know, you, you basically are taking all the socialization out of school and you're turning it into a, um, oh, I don't even know. It, it, it sounds when you were describing, it, I was thinking that sounds like detention. Um, right. I mean, it, 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 well, sounds, it really does. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a huge challenge for us because, you know, when you, when you listen to the, I would say politicians, but, you know, legislatures and, and um, folks kind of describe what they expect school to look like now, even the county health people and the, the state health department. That's exactly what they seem to be describing. You know, they're taking their conceptual version of school, which was kids sitting in rows in, in classrooms with the teacher at the front of the room. And they're saying, well, just mask up social distance and stay in your chairs. Right. I mean, that. But we know because we've been working on this and, and Bob, you've as you said, you've been to our district and you've seen what we've been trying to do around flexible learning environments and giving kids choice in the space and making the space really part of the learning process. And I just, I feel, and I've talked to teachers who've, you know, expressed this too, I feel like we're going way backwards from that. So have you thought about, I mean, how do we, and for me, it's two questions. How do we, how do we do that in virtual space, right? How do we build that kind of flexible, um, really, how, how do we take that space and in, in virtual and turn it into uh, an advantage that we can use? But then how do we, how do we do that in a classroom where we've got these new restrictions where it's like, you know, you draw a six foot box around yourself and you can't step outside that box. Yeah. I've been trying to give people a horizon, right? I mean, we probably have to jump through hoops for the next six to nine months, probably a semester of this kind of crazy amount of go backwards. Everything we learned about, choice and movement in class lots of that's going to get peeled away in the short term but i think that i think we have to keep people focused on hey nine months a year from now we can't throw away all that stuff we know that worked and i actually think we'll have a renaissance of learning space design after people see how awful social distance life is people are going to be saying we can't do this we have to do something better and you guys will be ahead of the game, but other schools will be saying, like, we are done with Rose forever. Um, and I really do think that on the backside of this, we're going to say the environment matters in a huge way. Uh, in the meantime, I'm, I'm encouraging teachers to take control of what you can control, right? Like, when you have kids present in your classroom, give kids room to relax. Give them room for quiet Give them a space that isn't visually noisy and cluttered. Uh, give them a break from their device, right? Like all of these things that teachers can control about the environment, they should take advantage of those because kids are going to need uh, socialization time, connection time, ability to process some of what they've been dealing with. Um, and so we've really got to kind of think about our curriculums in a different way. Like we can't think like, how are we going to cover everything with this two day a week model or virtual model, wherever it goes, right? We've got to really think that synchronous time is so precious. It might be the only thing we can control. Um, you can create a playlist of kids 
stuff for kids to do at home, but man, design, design, design the time you are going to have with kids. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that because that's one of the things we've been talking about here is, you know, that whatever that, whatever time that is you have with kids, that live interaction time is going to be really critical, whether it's on Zoom or, you know, Google Meet or, or in person, right? That, that time you get to see kids is going to be the most critical and most valuable that we have uh, moving forward. So, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I feel bad. I mean, there are schools that, you know, in two months from now, we'll have temperatures where kids can't be outside. And the, the beauty of where you guys are is you get a little bit of a window there, right? You get, yeah, open the windows, get kids outside, breathe fresh air. Everything we can do around movement and being outside is going to be a value add for kids as well. Well, I, but there are some sort of engineering or mechanical aspects to that as well. When we close up the buildings because it's zero degrees outside, what happens in terms of air circulation and what happens in terms of the ramifications for those sorts of constraints um, in terms of the pandemic? Yeah, I'm actually, yeah. It, I'm actually reading a new book, Mike, called Healthy Buildings. Uh, two different departments at Harvard took a look at all of this research. It's fascinating. Uh, it's super nerdy about buildings, but like it was just a reminder about all of those pieces, right? But we can absolutely do some real things in all of our schools, not during the pandemic and beyond, to promote cognitive improvement. Uh, sometimes it's fresh air, and sometimes it's the ability to kind of... Uh, uh, you know, just make sure that there's light in a building. We know yeah. these things, and they enhance human performance. Why would we limit our kids' performance based on their environment? So it's pretty fascinating. I've, I've not, I'm not familiar with the book at all. But are there aspects to that that are easily retrofitable into some of these existing environments? Uh, thinking specifically in terms of you know, addressing the infection rates and the the sort of parameters that lead to that. Um, can, can schools retrofit fairly quickly and fairly cheaply some of these concepts? Um, I, I think some. I mean, I, the, the first one's ventilation, right? Like, you're not going right. to re-ventilate your building, but the amount of fresh air you bring in uh, can be increased. And just doing an increase in the fresh air in your building... Um, is a good thing, right? Like yeah. We have a lot of recirculated air. We also have buildings that shut their AC and ventilation system off at five at night or it doesn't run all 24 hours. Uh, that staling of the air, and that's my term, right, isn't good as well. So if we could just continue to run the fans and run the fresh air flow through our buildings, that's going to be healthy for them as well. It's a... Uh... It's a complicated sort of mesh of issues and challenges, and just not a whole lot, a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, Andrew, you guys could be right in the mix of this, right? Um, if you are off of California's watch list, then one argument is, well, you've got 14 days, and if you stay off of it, then you have arguably the option arguably the requirement to start bringing your kids back. Well, um, I mean, the way the uh, order is written from the governor is that he set 
very clear guidance around when you cannot open uh, schools initially. So if a county right. is on the watch list, he said you must open uh, distance learning only. However, um, for counties that are not on the watch list, um, he was very clear that he said that schools may reopen. So he left that as a local decision. And I'm not yeah. sure, you know, we made our decision a week ago. Really, there isn't much that has changed um, since we made that decision to open distance learning only um, with a staged approach where we would phase back into school, um, starting with very small groups of targeted students. There's still a lot of unknowns out there, and there's a lot of unanswered questions around um, how this is supposed to work. The guidance seems to change every week. It's hard to nail down exactly what the uh, requirements are versus the recommendations versus what the CDC says versus what the State Department of Health says versus what the County Health Department says. It's not like there's a, you know, you can call up someone at the County Health Department and walk them through your plan. That doesn't, they don't seem to have the bandwidth for that for all schools. So it's kind of left up to schools to figure out how to interpret the guidance and the guidelines, um, which I think puts schools in a really difficult position, you know, because we are not health experts. Right. And the, the guidelines are, and the recommendations and the requirements are, you know, there's a lot of vagaries in there. And so, um, there's also the possibility, which is even makes it even more challenging, that our county ends up going back on the watch list because just recently we did. We we were on and then we were off because we're hovering right around one of those key metrics and we, we seem to bounce back and forth. So up and down. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I think that, I think that we all just are gonna have to anticipate that we may all be in school and we may go to a hybrid and we may go back to all virtual. We, I think it's going to be all of the above for um, probably most of the year um, that we aren't going to be just in one model. So it is important that we're prepared for each of those models. I think uh, if folks are putting too many eggs in one basket, um, they need to I, they need to have all three buckets ready, I think, uh, for sure. Yeah, and, it was... You know, yeah, and I, I was just going to say that the other piece is that I'm seeing some schools say, okay, we're going to bring back K-1-2, and we have room in our buildings for that, and we think that they have the most struggle with distance learning, so we're just going to start there. And then some people are also saying, hey, we're just going to bring our freshmen in because they've never been to high school, and we can spread them out. Uh, and so, I, I don't know, I, that creativity, I'm interested in seeing how that goes, but I think both of those aren't bad ideas because the pinch points are transportation for many school districts, right? Like there right. aren't enough bus drivers, there's not enough routes, there's not enough time of the day. And then if you spread kids into, and hell in California, from 36 to 12, there just aren't enough people to supervise kids, right? I don't right. care what yeah. cohort you put them on. Uh, if you have space in your building, great. But then where do you find the people? And then if people choose not to come back or people get sick, where are you going to get subs? It's a transportation and people problem. And if you can get over those two hurdles, then you got a chance of bringing everyone back socially distant. But if you can't get over those two hurdles, it's a non-starter. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up, Bob. I, I've, in in looking at as as I said again, just looking at different plans out there, um, we don't we don't have transportation in our district, thankfully. Um, the people problem. I don't see how you can get around the people problem, um, particularly around subs. Um, and then there are a whole other set of questions around um, how many people can come back, um, how many people are comfortable coming back, um, and it just 
the more you get into the weeds in it, the more you can look at the details, uh, the more complicated and and really difficult it gets. And um, well, you mentioned you know people comfortable coming back. What about the people that are not comfortable coming back? Um, you know, the converse argument is really important. We saw that study last week that fully a quarter of teachers are in high-risk categories. Uh, are we going to mandate that they come back? And then what happens uh, if they contract the virus and, uh, you know, you're going to sub them out? What do we do? We don't well, have answers for these. No, and, but I think Bob's right. You, we've got to start thinking outside the box and trying to be creative in solving sure. this. And, and, you know, I, I think I shared with you, it was uh, Dr. Alsterholm's podcast. He started talking about reopening schools last yeah. Um, last week. Yeah, I listened to that um, on Friday. Yeah, so have he's you, got, he's got part two. Part two hasn't come out yet. But what I took away from that, what I found fascinating and, and really helped me reframe this a little bit was, you know, there's been this binary discussion. Should we, you know, open schools in person or open online? That's kind of a either or scenario. And, and his point, which I really appreciated, was that, you know, we've got to look at both sides and we've got to figure out how to make this work for the long term because this thing is not going away. And so, you know, you can't just say one side or the other. It doesn't work that way. You've got to have empathy for all sides and look at all the issues. And we've got, you know, groups of people who are afraid and you've got to acknowledge the fear because it's real. You, you know, you can yeah. show as many stats as you want that says, you know, um, kids. And now we know it's kids under 10 are, are less likely to, to transmit and spread. Um, and you can show those stats every, every, any day of the week, but people are still going to be afraid to come in because the, the other message we're getting is <laughs> stay, stay six feet apart, wear your mask, stay home. This thing's serious, right? So it's a disconnect between that messaging and, and what they're saying about schools. And then there's people who need to send their kids because they have to for their livelihoods, you know, even though there is a risk. And, and, and so we've got to acknowledge that on that side as well. And then there's a group of people who are, I guess I would put myself in this group, who are just trying to figure out what is the right thing to do and what makes the most sense. And so, you know, when you're looking at those, I think if we just approach it as we have to reopen schools and we've got to do it in more or less the same way we always have, then we're on one side of that, you know, those concerns versus if we look at it and say what what are the very what are the different concerns and how do we look at this in different ways to meet those different concerns for people and address those different areas of need because this is not going to be a one size fits all solution and I feel like everybody's going after it as a one size fits all fits all solution and I just I have not seen a one size fits all answer to this yeah, I agree. And I mean, the districts that have this kind of virtual only option that they have in a robust way that they can start peeling off 20 or 30 percent of their kids are going to be in a better position to handle um, some of the fluctuation that goes with this. And so I've been really, really saying to folks like you've got to have your own internal kind of virtual option, whether you're using someone else's curriculum or someone else's teacher, but got to have it yeah it's yeah it's definitely part of the landscape and i don't I, like you said bob i don't i don't think it's going away well and and to bob's point earlier which was very uh, true <laughs> the the whole 
the whole idea that well, we're probably going to be probably true. Well, yeah, we're probably we. I I would anticipate, and I I think as we've been planning, we've been thinking in this way. We're going to be moving in and out of this situation, like in person, online, in person, you know, on and off kind of situation. And yeah. just thinking about how can you design flexibly around that that so that you're not, you know, you don't have to make a major shift not only in your scheduling but in your curriculum and in your instructional delivery, but in your um, schedule, you know, just the the experience for students. If you are going to be kind of moving back and forth in between these two different environments. Um, I think it'd be really challenging if you got yourself locked into one or the other and then had to switch on a dime, which, you know, potentially could happen at any time. You could get a notification of a positive test and have to shut down a cohort. Or now with the criteria that we have from our governor in California, if enough cohorts are shut down because then the whole school, has then to the whole school would have to shut down. If enough of that happens, the whole district would have to shut down. And so, you know, I, I do... I see this as being one of the most complex challenges and uh, yeah, we've just, you know. I, mean, I think we have to hold on though to these nuggets of gold that are going to come up over the next six months, right? Something's going to work really well and we shouldn't say that was really good for the pandemic. That might really be good forever. And so, I mean, I think that's yeah. the piece we have to hold on to and the other thing that I'm encouraging every school and every district that I'm working with is honestly go find 50 people that can pass the background check that need a job. You're going to need at least 50 more people in your district than, you know, even in size of a K-8 like you are, Andrew, like you're going to we're going to need bodies. Right. And we're going to need people to supervise lunches. We're going to need people to monitor hall. We're going to need bodies. And, um, well, Bob, can you say that again? Can you say that again? Because I've been saying that, but we didn't get money for that. And and I can't wrap my head around how we do this without having that. I know. I, I, uh, yeah, I know. We, but we need bodies to make this work. And I do think that before this is said and done, there's going to be monies that are, it's going to flow to schools for that. Um, now it's a risk and it's a hedge, but, I think that there's federal dollars coming to pay for personnel. And so, um, you know, I know that there's a whole bunch of school boards that would, uh, but the whole system's going to break down the day that all of a sudden you're like, well, we don't have anybody to supervise that court. It's not like you can spread them out amongst other people's classrooms. Like we do right. when we don't have subs. Right. Right. You can take a hall monitor and put them with a group of kids. You can take a teacher's aide, you know, um, there are people in every community that need a job right now, whether they want to come into a school <laughs> right. where it may or may not be healthy, but there are people that need jobs that can pass a background check and can support this work. And we've, I, well, it's going to happen. Like yeah. it's either going to happen in an emergency or it's going to happen by plan. Well, and I saw a district, I forget wh- which one it was, but they had basically rolled out a plan like that where they said, well, it was in, it was even more kind of. It was more, I guess, uh, orchestrated than that. They were going to essentially provide all the instruction, distance learning, but then have classroom monitors, so aides monitoring the classrooms, which if you think about it, if you if you need to do, you know, less kids in class, um, you don't have enough teachers for that. So somehow, you, as you said, you have to have staffing. Now, the, the challenge here in California is 
if you only have kids with a classified aid, so not a teacher, right, not certificated, um, your instructional minutes, they, they don't count, right? You have to have a certificated person supervising that class of kids for the instructional minutes. So some of the flexibility that I was hoping we would see here in California, we didn't see. But if the, I'm, I'm thinking if the teacher is like virtually in there providing support for the class, then that should count under our yeah. new distance learning stuff. But again, it's those kind of things that um, I'm hoping we see more resources for because if we had that kind of flexibility and, and we're able to do that, I'm, I, I agree. I think we'd be able to get people and it would also open up the possibility of us to be able to support more kids on campus in a socially distanced kind of framework. Because I don't know about you, but you've probably seen the the hybrid models where it's like two kids, two days on, three days off, or sure. like an AM, PM. And again, the more I dig into those, they they get pretty well. They get complicated, and I'm, and 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 it's you have the same issues you'd had have if you were bringing all your kids back. You just kind of spread them out a little bit. And then you've also got the challenges as a teacher. If I've got a full class, if I only have half my kids in person on a couple of days, what are the other half doing? Right. And that's a hard yeah. pedagogical shift for teachers. So I don't know if you've seen any kind of good ideas up there around that. But um, yeah, we've been talking about that in some schools where they're going to take um, some of their other personnel, like you said, aides, those sorts of things, and kind of have an advisory or have a group where. Uh, maybe there's a teacher on those days that are just checking in with that larger group that's not in school, right? They're doing office hours. They're doing a follow-up email. They're doing that sort of thing with maybe there's an aide for three sections of third grade, right? So you've got the teachers that have said, hey, I got you for two days, and then here's the stuff you're going to do at home. And then there's going to be a fourth person that's going to kind of uh, just tend to the herd while they're away. Um, and so, um, we'll see, I don't know that that's the perfect plan, but at least I like the idea that there's an adult that is kind of shepherding the, um, asynchronous learning on those days when kids aren't in the classroom. So it's, it's an idea, but again, it comes back to people and bodies, right? And I forget that California has all kinds of crazy laws and regulations and rules that lots of us don't think about in other states. Like, hey, we can write down a teacher of record for 125 third graders and then have five people facilitate learning, right? So as mm -hmm. long as a teacher of record is certificated, we can really lay them over as many kids as we want, and then we can have whoever facilitate that learning. So we've got a little more freedom around that. Hmm. What state are you in again? I need to move back. Uh, yeah, Missouri. <laughs> hey, it's, 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 we, it's probably hotter here today than it is wherever you guys okay. are. Okay, you know, we're, I, was in, I, I was at Fort Leonard Wood for a couple of weeks as I was – uh, exiting ETSing service. So I, I got to experience the humidity and summer over there for yes. a little bit. Yeah, we are deep into it right now. I think heat index is 106 or something here today, which is plenty with the humidity. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I won't tell you about the 74 degrees with a nice ocean breeze that we're dealing with here. Yeah, enough, old Walmart. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, do we have final thoughts or? things we would like to wrap up as we uh, kind of close yeah. out this discussion? Yeah, I just think like I, I think go back to that whole idea is that there's a renaissance in 2021 around the importance of learning environments. Uh, we're going to go through a really dark uh, space here for a while where all the good stuff gets stripped away. I think it's going to reinforce that the backside of this, um, the learning environment's a different 
dynamic and more complex place. And I think people are going to want to have that conversation um, more than ever. So I'm hopeful for that. And um, if we can keep teachers thinking about the things that they can, can control with their learning environment as opposed to the stuff they can't control, uh, it's going to alleviate some of that fear and anxiety as well. I think, you know, you alluded to it before, too. We see in business um, conversations now about, you know, all the overhead and all of the stuff that we've put into getting everybody to, quote, come to work. A lot of that we've kind of seen that we're getting at least as good and in a lot of cases better productivity and worker satisfaction out of some more flexible approaches to that. Um, the same thing I think is going to happen with education. Um, we're, we're learning a lot about what works in terms of student engagement and what doesn't. Um, we're seeing a lot more of the curtain kind of being peeled back uh, as parents have a deeper look at what their kids are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, all of that creates an opportunity to kind of push this 21st century pedagogy that we've now, we're in the, what, third decade of talking about, but um, uh, those are things that um, we should probably keep um, up at the top of the list of conversations as we look forward. Agree. Yeah. All right. So, so no, you gotta stop talking now, Mike. Cause you keep talking. No, I'm, 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 We're gonna go over an hour, and we did that last time. That's not the goal. Doctor Dylan's got a book coming out. Yeah, um, it's it's available for pre-order now, Bob. It is actually. I, I take that back, Mike. So I actually produced a book, kind of a pandemic book, and so that's the one that you can order now, called Finding Space. It's a little bit different. It's more of a coffee table style book. Uh, but if someone reaches out to me, I'll make sure they get a copy of that. Uh, and the space, a guide for leaders, uh, should be November, December. Rebecca and I are okay. just working on tweaks, but, um, yeah, I did a, I did a quarantine book, uh, about space. And so a little more poetic, a little more design, a little more photos that I've taken on all my travels, but, uh, it's uh, worth uh, picking up as well. And to pick that up, how do people, they contact you? Yeah, they just email me and I will mail them out a copy. I self-publish that one. Um, and how can they email you? We'll gotcha, put yeah. this in the show notes. I, yeah, sure. I am rdillon25 at gmail.com. Or on Twitter, uh, you can send me a message at, at Dr. Robert Dillon. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you having uh, having you on. Uh Dr. Dylan, and, and, and really appreciate talking to you. Um, so much, so much going on these days and, um, you know, just getting ideas out there for people to think about, I think is really important. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure. It is not yes. 74 degrees here. So thanks for sharing that. Um, it's a little warmer. Um, but again, Dr. Ballmer, always nice talking to you. And, uh, We'll uh, wrap this show up, and we'll talk to everybody next time. So have Thanks, a great day. Guys. It's been good. Take care. Music, Welcome to the Show by Kevin McLeod.